Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, good morning to all of you. Those of you that are in the room, thank you for being here. Those of you that are watching online, at home, wherever you're watching from, God bless you. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We're always, always, always excited about uh, what this season is all about for us as Christians. Uh, we love the Easter season. Uh, we love because of what it represents. It's the anchor of our faith. It's the reason why we believe what we believe. And the evidence that supports the, the resurrection of Jesus is, is mind-blowing. And, and, and it demonstrates the truth of what God did for all of us. It's amazing things. So we love Easter. We, th- we love celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. And, and it's the, for that reason that we have eternal life. What amazing, amazing truth that is for all of us. So with that in mind, we just said, hey, there's no other option for us other than just to take courage. Like there's really no other, there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to worry. There's no reason to have anxiety. There's no reason to, you know, to, to try to get, to get upset or, or angry or bitter or resentful. We should just take courage. And that's the advice that Jesus gave. He, he, he tells us this in John 16. He says, in this world you have tribulation. And we all know that. We, and I mentioned last week, we could go around the room and you could tell us about your tribulation and we could talk about your tribulation. You could talk, we could spend the whole time <clears throat> talking about how challenging life can be. And Jesus tells us that. In this world, you will have tribulation. But then he says, but take courage. Why should we take courage? Because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's what, why we should take courage, because Jesus conquered death and the grave and defeated the enemy. And, no, and now because of our, our, what he has done for us and the work that he has done for us, we can be set free and have eternal life. And therefore, whatever we go through in this life, whatever tribulation we go through in this, this life, take courage. Take courage. So he tells us some things. So, so that's in John you know, 16, and that's sort of where we're at. So we started in John 14, and John's just writing some things down that he heard Jesus talk about you know, before Jesus was uh, you know, betrayed, before Jesus was arrested, before Jesus was put on trial, and before Jesus was executed. He, John is writing some things down that Jesus wanted us to know some 2,000 years later, some things that he wanted us to know about why we should take courage. And we're going to start at the uh, beginning of this chapter, uh, where we're at today. He says, um, he, and so what, what's happening is, is that Jesus is again reminding his disciples that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be, you know, put on trial, and that he ultimately he's going to be executed and put to death. And as because of the words that Jesus was telling them in regards to that, there it says that, but you know, their hearts became sorrow. Their, their their sorrow had filled their hearts, and and so that's what they're they're experiencing. And this is oftentimes what we experience when you know somebody that we care about, you know, goes go moves on, or somebody that we care about, we lose somebody in this life. Our hearts are filled with sorrow. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago how 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 our hearts are easily troubled. 
It doesn't even take much. You know, it just takes a, a, a bad day. It, it takes a bad, you know, comment. It, it takes a feeling slighted. It takes a, a you know, a, a, a circumstance in our houses that, that don't work out the way that they should work out that, that cause our hearts to be troubled. And so here's, his disciples are just hearing Jesus say, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be, you know, arrested. I'm going to be executed. And as a result of that, they sorrow filled their hearts. But then look what Jesus said. He, he tells them this. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is like, it's good that I'm going to be going away. It's good that I'm not going to be here with you because it is to your advantage that I'm not physically here with you, but, but I'm going to send a, he says, but I'm going to send a helper to you. And, and, and God has sent a helper to all of us. And all of us need a helper. All of us in some areas of our life, we need some help. All of us need, you know, people to come around and, and help us. Sometimes we need certain things like products to come around and help us. There's, there's all of us need certain things in our life where we just need a little bit of help. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got the perfect helper for you. In other translations of this word helper is the word comforter. So maybe your version of your Bible that you read is it says the comforter is going to come. Boy, isn't that good to hear? Isn't it just good to hear that God in heaven is saying to you and to me today, hey, I've got a helper for you. Or if you want to look at it this way, I've got a comforter for you. In a world of tribulations, in a world where our hearts get filled with sorrow and grief and disappointment and pain, I've got comfort for you. That's good news for all of us. So Jesus said, hey, it's good that I go away. And what will this comforter do? Well, he tells us later, a few verses later, it says this, John's writing this down. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, so he's now referring to him as the spirit the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of truth comes. What will he do? Well, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into all truth. We live in a world of falsehoods, right? Right? Jesus, we looked at a couple weeks ago that, that Jesus is the true vine, the true vine. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? And, and so we live in a world of falsehood. We live in a world of, uh, of circumstances and, and philosophies and ideals that will get us to believe things that cer certainly are not true. We live in a world of falsehoods. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know what this helper will do? You know what this comforter will do? He will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not, you know, he says that, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So he will hear, and he will, he will share with you what it, how to be guided into truth. The Holy Spirit works in, in these ways. The Holy Spirit works by guiding you into truth and guarding you from danger. Guiding you into truth and guarding you from danger. So back to earlier, back into John 16, I think we're going to look at verse 8 here. He says, and he, and he, the spirit who will guide you in truth, the comforter or the helper, he, when he comes, he will convict 
the world concerning. Now, that word convict is, means this. The word convict means to bring to light, to bring to light, to bring to light. It's, a, it's a, to, to declare a verdict. Like when you, you watch a trial and you see, you know, there's, a, there's a conviction that happens. So that's, what, that's ultimately what the, the helper will do. The helper will do this for you, but the helper also wants to do this through you. You see, here's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit didn't come to the world. The Holy Spirit came to the church for you to dispense to the world. The Holy Spirit was, was placed in your life in order for you to be able to speak and to help others be guided in the truth. This is what the Holy Spirit has done for all of us. And so what, what God has done is that he says, listen, I want the church filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the helper, filled with the comforter to bring things to light that are true, that are true. It says that he will convict the world concerning, through you, through you, concerning what? Well, he tells us, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, if there are three things, three words that, that people will say, I don't want to hear about in church, it's all in this one verse. <laughs> don't talk to me about sin don't talk to me about righteousness, you know, thinking about self-righteousness. And don't talk to me about judgment. So this is, I know, I know you're listening, you're hearing going, oh man, like now I, I'm going to really feel bad today. Like I'm going to leave church and I'm going to really feel guilty. And, and some think that that's a good day at church. Like, I don't know, like some have grown up just understanding things about church that aren't true. Like if I don't feel bad leaving, it didn't work. Anybody ever felt felt that way? Like, oh, if I if I don't feel bad about myself, I guess I didn't really listen, you know, because that's what listen, that's not that's not what church is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a time where we love each other, we encourage each other, we inspire each other, and we help each other get into what God where God wants us to be in the plan and the purposes for his life. But here's, here's where this is sort of, this verse has sort of, you know, been misconstrued and, you know, manipulated and, and, and wanting people like you, nice people like you, to feel bad about themselves. But that's not really what Jesus is saying here of what the helper wants to do for you and what the helper wants to do through you. And here's why. Look what Jesus said. He spends some time explaining to them what he means by that. So it's verse 9. So he starts with concerning sin, okay? Concerning sin. Because they do not believe in me. Now, here's the good news for us, okay? Here's the good news. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, because they do not behave me. So here's the good news concerning sin that, that, that God has done for you and what God wants to do through you, that salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit and, and the fact that you're, 
you can be forgiven of your sins. You can be set free of your sins. You can live a, a life that is honoring to God and that one day you can step into heaven and be where Jesus is forever. I mean, because of that, it's not based on your behavior. It's based on your belief. You don't have to earn your way into good standing or right standing with God. Jesus did the work for you. That work is done and settled and finished and paid for. Jesus said what you're to do is that you're to help people who don't believe to believe. That the, Jesus sees the world. This is so important. Jesus sees every person in one or two ways. Either, either they believe or they don't believe. Either they're lost or they're found. Either they're blind or they can see. Either they're dead or they're alive. Jesus sees people in one of those two categories, and this is the way that we ought to see people as well. But we shouldn't be coming around saying to people, hey, you need to clean up your act. You need to get things right before you can come to God. You need to fix things. Like, I don't know how many times as a pastor I've heard people say that. Pastor, I'll come back to church whenever I can get my life in order. Like whenever I can make things, you know, fix things in my life, then I'll start coming back to church. Listen, you just come back to church wherever you're at, whatever you're going through and whatever you're dealing with, whatever your struggles are, this is a place where you're welcome to come back and find the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. Isn't that what church is supposed to be? It is not based on your behavior. It is based on your belief. And, and the Holy Spirit has come to help you know, to help you know that it's based on belief in him. I don't know. Have you ever heard the verse John 3.16? Anybody? I, well, I don't expect. I'm a pastor. I went to school. You know, I even have it to memory. I, I won't show off. But, you know, uh, John 3.16, you know, you know, you know the verse. But you know what's so cool about John 3.16 is the verses that follow John 3.16. The verses that follow John 3.16, look what it says. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. <laughs> Come on. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Look what he says, look what he says. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, the good news in, in, in what the Holy Spirit, the helper, has done for us and what the Holy Spirit wants to help us through us to, to others as we dispense this to a world that needs to hear it. That it's having an understanding, having the right thinking. And the right thinking is it's, it's not condemnation. It's not condemnation for the sins, but, but it's compassion for the sinner. It's not condemnation for the sins, but it's having compassion for the sinner because what it boils down to is whether you believe or you don't believe, 
It doesn't boil down to a list of sins. What it boils down to is whether they believe or they don't believe. That's what John 3, 16, 17, and 18 is what he's talking about. Jesus came into this world. He says, I'm not here to judge the world. I'm not here to point my finger at how everybody has offended me or wronged me or hurt me or turned their back on me despite all the things that I've done. He says, I've not come into this world to do that. I've come into this world to bring salvation so that people can simply put their faith in me and that's our message our message is the same approach that Jesus took I'm not here to judge you I'm here to love you I'm not here to tell you all your wrongs I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who loves you no matter what and he's open arms to you and wants to receive you into his amazing plan. Why? Because Jesus came not to condemn, but Jesus came to show compassion. And he's shown compassion to you. He's shown compassion to you. And he wants us to turn and show compassion to those who have a bunch of list of sins? No. To those that just don't believe. Don't believe. So how do we approach an unbeliever with compassion according to Paul and Peter? I, I, I don't know. These are a couple credible guys. So how do they go about it? Like, how do they go about showing compassion to an unbeliever? Without, you know, rolling out a list of their sins, all the things that they did wrong, all the things, how they offended God, that was never their approach. Their approach was always with compassion and kindness and grace and love. That was their approach. So what does he tell us to do? Well, Paul, Paul tells us this. Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders. Who are outsiders? Outsiders are unbelievers. Outsiders are those who are outside of the of the plan of God or outside of the purposes of God, outside of the sacrifice of God. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Making the most of the opportunity. Now, your version of your Bible might say it this way, which I like it better. Your version might say, instead of saying making the most of the opportunity, your version might say redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. In other words, Here's what Paul would say when it comes to outsiders. You have to be wise and you have to purchase an opportunity. You have to purchase time with them so that you can have an opportunity to help them understand why they need to be on the inside and not on the outside. And so this requires us to, just like when you purchase something, you have to take the initiative you have to take the initiative. You know, these Targets and these Walmarts and these other Best Buys and, and these Home Depots, they can't read your mind. It, your stuff is just not going to show up on your doorstep, you know, because, and you're like, oh yeah, I did need that. Here you go. Then you pay later. No, you have to initiate what you need ahead of time. You have to purchase it ahead of time so that you can have that in your possession. This is what Paul would say what we ought to be doing with those who don't believe. We should make time. We should redeem the time with them 
so that we can give an opportunity, so that we can share what God has done in us. He goes on to say this. When we, when we have that time, and we, we spent some time on this a few weeks ago. Let your speech always be with grace. So when you're with them, let your speech be always with grace. As though seasoned with salt. We talked about salt. It's a preservative. It's a preservative. You're preserving the relationship. You're preserving the opportunity to be able to share and hopefully help understand what it looks like to have a relationship and to believe in Jesus. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. In other words, in other words, you respond because they ask you questions. You respond because you're ready to give an answer. And so that's what Peter's advice is. Look at Peter says about it. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And that word sanctify means to just set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. He's Lord of your, of your life. He's in charge of your life. So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So notice that it doesn't say to get defensive. And it also doesn't say to be offensive. Boy, the church is really good at getting defensive when somebody wants to question your faith. And the church is really good at being offensive when it comes to your faith. And, and Peter is saying, listen, listen. It's about being proactive. It's about being proactive in knowing why you believe what you believe. It's, it's being proactive to say, listen, I'm going to be ready to give an account or give an, a defense for the hope that I have in my life. And it's, it's not, and it's certainly not being offensive. It's just being ready, proactive and not reactive in being defensive, but being proactive, saying, listen, I'm going to make a defense. I'm going to make a defense. And when I do that, it's going to be with grace. It's going to be seasoned with salt. And it's going to be gentle. And it's going to be respectful. It's going to be respectful. And then he says this. And overall, he says, listen, and keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, so if, if any reason anybody has something bad to say about you, it's not because you're offensive. It's not because you're so defensive. He says, if those anybody has anything to slander you, it's because you of your good behavior in Christ. That's, if anybody has anything bad to say about you, it's because you're, you do so many good things. It's because you, you're, you're like that, like if, like he's just, he's just, she's just too nice. She's just, uh, she's always like, do, like delivering food and, you know, like giving me a hug. So annoying. Christian. Like if anybody has anything bad to say about you, let that, that, let that be the things that they say. Can you believe they like put gas in my car? What? Ugh. They think they're so good. There's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do about that. 
You know your intentions and you know what your heart is, but let it be like cut. How many, oh my gosh, on social media, how many times have they encouraged me? Like stop encouraging me so much. Like stop writing things on your posts like scriptures or encouraging somebody, you know, or trying to like say a prayer for somebody. Like, like let those things be the things that annoy people. Not your position on something or whatever. I've exhausted this point long enough. It is, it's let them slander you because of your behavior and your behavior is good and honorable. Let that be. And so he says, hey, concerning sin, it's about helping people who don't believe to believe. And a way that you can help people who don't believe believe is not by condemning them or judging them or ridiculing them or giving them all their, your list, their list of things that they've done wrong. It's just about loving and showing compassion and grace. And it's doing it with gentleness. And it's doing it with respect. And it's being ready being ready to make a defense of why you have a hope. Hey, hey, church, church, those of you who are watching from home, are you ready to make a defense of the hope that you have? Are you ready for that? Like if, if somebody, you know, off out of the blue came up to you and said, hey, I see that you just left church today. Why did you go to church? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to respond? Like, are you like, well, it's Sunday morning. That's what I'm supposed to do. I did it when I was a kid. It's what I always did. You know, I just go to church. You know, I'm like, I didn't really feel bad today. I, 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 so maybe I didn't get church the way I should have gotten church, you know. I didn't feel guilty. I wasn't feeling convicted. So maybe I just didn't do something right today. I don't know. But like, I, I don't know if those are the right responses. But the, maybe the correct response is, is that, man, I'm a sinner and I needed a savior. Savior, and because of his grace and kindness and compassion towards me, he was willing to forgive me, not based on the merits of my good works, but based on the merits of his on a cross. And I believe what I believe because, not because it feels good, I believe what I believe because the evidence supports that there was a Jesus and he lived, he's a good man, and he did good things, and he died on a cross, but that they seen him after he resurrected. Over 500 people saw him alive after he resurrected, and the evidence is overwhelming of the fact that he resurrected out of the grave. So the only conclusion that I can come up with is that he truly was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And when I put my faith and belief in him, he has filled a void in my life that nothing else could fill. No world thing could fill that void in my life. Nothing could fit that, that part of my life that was empty inside of me. The only thing that fits that void in my life is Jesus. And when I put my faith in Jesus, he gave me a new life. He gave me a new perspective. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once dead and now I'm alive and I just want to walk and honor him in my life and everything that I do because he paid my debt 
for me. And my life is not my own. And I don't want it to be my own. Because when I give it to him, he makes it better. What hope we have. Let's make a defense for that hope that we have in Christ. Man, I'm running out of time. He says in concerning, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes to be a help to us. <laughs> what a help he's been. He says concerning sin, it's those who just need to believe. He says in concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. He says, why did he say that? Why did he say, in concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. He, he didn't say concerning unrighteousness. He said concerning righteousness. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, is that I came to do what I came to do. I came to offer myself as a sacrifice. And because of that, I, I'm no longer needed here on this earth. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to dispense to you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit from now on is going to be your help. And he's going to be your guide. And he's going to guard you from the dangers of this life. He says, but when I, because I go back to the Father, what I've done for you. He says, and, and this is a, a big churchy, churchy word. So I, I bear with me. But yeah, he says, I'm going to impute righteousness. I know, I impute righteousness. This is very churchy. He said, and and what, what that simply means is, that, is this, is that his imputed righteousness made believers righteous ones. His imputed righteousness made believers righteous ones. In other words, he placed righteousness on us. So when we believe, not behave, but when we believe, he's put righteousness on us. Paul wrote in the second letter to the church in Corinth, it says that he, um, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can know the righteousness of God through him. In other words, he placed his righteousness on us so that when a holy God sees us, he doesn't see our unrighteousness, which the scripture says are like filthy rags. He doesn't see our unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ over us like a blanket. It's called imputed righteousness. And what that has made us, what has made you by belief, again, by belief, he's made you righteous ones. Or what the scripture calls righteous ones, he calls, the scripture calls them saints. Saints. So when you believe, he's imputed righteousness on you, placed righteousness on you. And the way that God sees you, I know, buckle up, everybody. He no longer sees you as a sinner. He now sees you as a saint. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I ain't no saint. I don't act like a saint. And I don't feel like a saint. And the good news is it's not about being a a performance saint, which we'll get to in a second, but it's about being a positional saint. It's a positional saint. In other words, that's just who you are. It had nothing to do with you. That's grace, right? It had nothing to do with you. It's just who you are. The way that God sees you, he sees you as a positional saint. 
your position with God is you're a saint. You're a saint. So again, it's not performance saint. It's not performance saint. Like, for example, performance saint is, um, I don't know, like St. Patrick. Thinking of St. Patrick's Day coming up, right? St. Patrick. Well, how, how did, how did St. Patrick become St. Patrick? Well, St. Patrick went to Ireland and he used this as a uh, sh- the shamrock, right? He used this as a, uh, a, a picture to explain the triune God. So he goes to Ireland, St. Patrick, he wasn't a saint at the time, but he, Patrick, he goes to Ireland and he introduces Christianity in Ireland, and he uses this as a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He uses the shamrock to show as an illustration, my kind of guy, right? Visual illustrations, you know, something I would do, right? Grab a shamrock, show people like this is this this is like this one means the Father, this one means the Son, you know, and you guys kind of like shake your head like that was cheesy, and I go, I don't care, you'll remember it later, you know. Don't make me pull my eye can back out again. That was good. That was good. You guys are laughing at me, but I thought it was good. Things in my head that I think during the week, like, oh, this is going to hit a home run. And then you guys are like, chuckle at me. Like, oh, fail, fail. But this is what St. Patrick would do. You know, St. Patrick, so he started Christianity. And so, you know, in the 17th century, uh, because of what he did in Ireland, they deemed him... A saint, it was based on, in their, in their mind, it was based on a performance. It was based on a performance. He died, and they, they believe March 17th, which is why it's St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. But it's interesting. It started as a, a religious, you know, celebration, but now not so much anymore. But things have happened in reverse, too, over the years. Things that start pagan end up Christians like, we like that. I don't even know what that meant. But not a performance saint is what I'm, you're a positional saint. You're a positional saint. But as a positional saint, you're also to be a practicing saint. You're to be a practicing saint. So that, like, so that means like when you are, if you're a husband or a wife, like you're not just a wife or a husband you're, you, are, you are a saint wife and a saint husband. You're a righteous wife and you're a righteous husband. When it, when it comes to handling, you know, your, 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 your stuff, your finances and, and all the things, like you're, you're, a, you're a righteous handler of your finances. You're a saint when it comes to handling your finances correctly and with integrity and being a good, having a good conscience. When, when it comes to being a parent, you're, 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 the, you're the parent, you're, the, you're, you're a parent saint. You're not just a parent, but you're a righteous parent. You're a righteous father. You're a righteous mother. You're a righteous grandfather. You're a righteous grandmother. When it comes to being a neighbor, you're not just any neighbor. You're not just any old neighbor. No, you're a saint neighbor. You're a saint neighbor. Like people, they, they, they look at you and they should be like, wow, what a, what a saint. I know that's all, how all my neighbors think of me. I'm looking at my neighbors. 
<laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. That, that's what we ought to be. This is what it should look like. It, we're to be practicing saints. So it's not positional. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But practicing it, we ought to be people that say, hey, that's a saint. What a saint they are. What a saint. Wow, they're, they're, they're willing to serve and they're willing to do for others. They're willing to give sacrificially. They're, they're willing to, like, they're, they're, they're just, they want to just live with character and integrity and be honorable. What a saint. You didn't, you didn't deserve that. You didn't earn that. But we ought to be wanting to practice that. You ought to be wanting to be somebody that God deems you to be already. You are already a saint in God's, in God's eyes. So act like one. So act like one. It's a practicing saint. Here's what, here's what it says in Titus 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. He says, instructing, verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So for us, it requires us to Sometimes in other versions of that, of that passage, it says to say no, to say no, to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly desires. Because positionally, you're a saint. Positionally, you're righteous, but you also should be practicing. You also should be living sensibly, living righteously and godly in this present age. Not because it gets you a better standing with God or a better position with God. No, you're already in good position with God. But a way to honor God in your life and a way to see God work through you in your life, we ought to be practicing saints. Practicing saints. So I'm going to stop here for today and we'll pick it up next week and what it looks like for the helper and how he works for you and how he wants to work through you. We all need a help. We all need some help. And what he's already done for you and for me, what a miracle. What a miracle. Concerning sin, it's just about believing. Concerning righteousness, you're already righteous. So act like one. Act like one. Oh, it wasn't based on your performance. I mean, you can call yourself saint, whatever your name is, but... You knew that it was just from God anyways. And I'm going to live God not because I want to make my name great, because I want to make his name great. Let's pray. Father, so much more to even that could be said about these things that you said and John wrote down. Lord, we twist them and we make sin about making other people feel bad or guilty and feeling shame. But really, it's just about flipping that coin and turning that on its head and saying that it's not even really at all based on their merit or their works, but on the finished work done on the cross and putting your faith and belief in him who did that work for us. What, that is such a better 
message. That is such a better message. And that might inspire more people to say, I want that. I want that. Because you made time for me by redeeming the time. You made time for me. And you showed grace. And your speech was seasoned with salt. And you were so gentle and so respectful. That if I had anything bad to say, it's because of how nice you are and how kind you are and what kind of integrity and character you have. But not for any other reasons other than that. God, you've given us righteousness. You positionally made us righteous. Boy, none of us deserve that. You see us not as sinners, but you see us as saints. It's hard for many of us to even believe that. But we want to just trust that that's the way you see us, and we want to live that out. Not because performance gets us a better position with you, but because we're practicing it because we want to make your name great. We want people to know you because of what you've done for us. So we're going to live that out. We're going we're to say no. We're going to deny things that are not honoring and glorifying to you. We're going to deny these worldly desires that are only going to hinder us and get in the way and become stumbling blocks for us for being able to walk in your plan and your purposes that you have for every single one of us. So God, help us, give us the strength to take courage, knowing that we have a helper that is always, always accessible and available to guide us into truth, to guide us into truth, and to live out these principles that you taught years ago. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.